Have a seat. Good morning. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is John Lee. I serve Mission Church as the lead pastor. At Mission Church, we partner with God to see His kingdom come here in Las Vegas as it is in heaven. And we're going to accomplish this as we love Jesus, live like Jesus, and lead others to Jesus. And this morning, we're going to press pause on our current sermon series through the book of Ephesians. Now, don't fear. Don't fret. We will pick up right where we left off after Christmas. Okay? So we'll pick right up, right back where we left off. Um, but this morning, we're going to look at a familiar story from the first-hand account of the life and ministry of Jesus found in Mark chapter 4. Most New Testament scholars believe that, that the gospel, according to Mark, that Mark records for us Peter's authoritative eyewitness account of Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Our story, beginning in verse 35, is the first of several episodes that reveal to us Jesus' sovereign, authoritative power, demonstrating His identity as God and as the one that you and I can trust. If you would, please grab a Bible, open it to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, we do have some available for you on the bookshelf out in the foyer. Feel free to grab one at any time. And I'll give you a moment to turn there, and when you're there, I'd like to invite you, if you're able, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear the Word of the Lord from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Silence! Be still! The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word. We ask now that You would soften our hearts to a greater understanding of, of who You are based on who You say You are from this text. Reveal to us areas in our lives that do not line up in what You command of us as Your followers. I pray, Lord, that You would encourage those who are in the storm now and equip those who will be soon. I pray, Lord, the words of my ha- mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. God, you are our rock and our redeemer. We love you and, and glorify you alone. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? The disciples ask this fundamental question right after they experience what could have been one of the scariest, stressful Moments in their lives. It was in this frightful, confusing, and stressful moment. A moment in which these disciples had no power, no control over what they were experiencing. That they experienced the unlimited power, the authority, and the loving care of a sovereign God. Tell me, have you ever experienced something difficult? 
Many of you should be answering with a, with a yes if you're, if you're human and you are present this morning. Have you ever experienced something painful? Something confusing? Something stressful? Maybe it was a circumstance in your life that you went through. Maybe it was a broken relationship with a family member or a spouse or a friend. Maybe the death of a loved one. Have you ever gone through something in your life that caused you so much anxiety, so much stress, that you began to question not only if God is with you, but is He good? Does He care? Does He love me? This reminds me of several instances in my life, things that I've experienced over the course of my 39 years, but most recently I'm reminded of last year. Many of you walked alongside my family when my youngest fell down the stairs. The dog came coming down behind her, took out her legs, and the skull, her, the, the, the base of her skull hit the corner of the stairs. She immediately had a, an impact seizure. She was laying at the bottom of the stairs, lifeless, no response. And that's, you know my little Juniper, that is not her personality at all. She was completely non-responsive. It was one of the scariest moments in my life and didn't know how to respond, but Juniper and my wife rode in the back of the ambulance while I raced in my car to meet them at UMC. Once there, they rushed my little baby girl into the ER and cut off her clothes, began running tests, and, and I'll never forget, next to her on one side was a man who was suffering gunshot wounds, was screaming, and, and, and there was blood everywhere, and the other side, there was another man um, hanging on for life, and there laid my little baby girl just not responsive there in the middle of that room. As I sat there in the ER holding my wife as she cried, and we were both scared, obviously. I tried to be strong for her, holding back tears of my, my own, and I began to question God, why? Why? I'm faithfully serving you. I, why, why would you do this? Why are you silent? Why does it feel that you're not here with us? Why aren't you doing anything to help my baby girl? Now, in the moment of difficulty, how do you answer questions like this? When you're in moments of, of stress and fear, when life seems so chaotic that you don't know what's going to come next, how do you answer these questions? Moment when God seems silent. Times when God is not responding as quickly as you want Him to. Situations when what you expected life to be like is not lining up with what, with what life is currently giving you. Well, if you're human, and if you've ever had a rough day, then you're in good company. In our text, we see a group of guys who were the closest to Jesus when they physically and visibly walked this earth. These men, they experienced uh, these same emotions that we were just discussing. You see, as followers of Jesus, listen, we're not immune to trials. We're not immune to suffering. We're not immune to difficulty. In fact, the Bible emphatically declares that as we walk through this life of Jesus, we will in fact endure suffering. We will encounter trials. As we live in a world that's broken and marred by sin, we will endure hardship, strife, difficulty. Friends, it's inevitable. Consider 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Peter writes, Dear friends, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Peter, remember, he's one of the guys in the boat in the text that we just read. And I think it's safe to assume that as Peter writes these words, memories of his many trials flashed before his eyes, specifically that moment when he was in the boat in the middle 
of a storm and his life hung in the balance. That moment when he was questioning Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, I thought you were with us. I thought you loved me. Why aren't you doing anything? Don't you care? But on the other side of the storm, what was it that gave Peter the the strength and the understanding to write, don't be surprised. When strife comes, when trouble comes, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you. What, what, what happened? Well, let's take a look at Mark chapter 4 and find out. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. Doing okay? All right. On that day when evening had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. We pick up this story at the end of what was an extremely long day. Jesus and his disciples had been out ministering, they were out teaching people, they were surrounded by people all day and they're tired, they're tired of walking around, they're tired of teaching, and I don't know if you're like me, when I'm surrounded by people for a certain amount of time, I'm tired, and these guys were too. So in order to get rest, in order to get away from the crowd, Jesus asks his boys, he asks the disciples, take me on the boat across the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus, it says in the text, just as he was, tired, hungry, most definitely in need of a shower, he gets in the boat, he grabs a cushion, he heads for the stern, and he falls asleep. So you have Jesus, and you have these disciples in the boat. They're heading to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and understand the Sea of Galilee is a shallow lake. It's not very deep. It's a lake, though, that's known for its violent storms. The weather in this region, even to this day, has a bad reputation. The weather can change drastically. It could go from a a nice, calm, sunny day, and immediately at the snap of a finger, clouds, storms, you never know. It can go from a sunny, cloudless sky to a dark sky and hurricane-like winds. And this is the scene as we look at verse 37. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. Suddenly, everything turns upside down. The words great windstorm here speak of hurricane-type winds, hurricane-force winds. The boat is being violently thrown around in the sea and overwhelmed with water. I imagine Peter yelling and cursing at the storm with one hand in the air, scooping water out with the other hand, while John, the emotional one, is holding on to the boat for dear life and crying. These seasoned sailors and fishermen suddenly find themselves in a storm unlike they had ever experienced. Now, before we continue, there's a crucial detail I want to make note of. You see, it was Jesus that led these guys into this storm. This was not an accident. The storm did not catch God off guard, which tells me that we should not be alarmed when the storms of life rage in our lives. Because those storms, and even those small, annoying, everyday, unideal experiences that we go through, Those are moments in which God is working to reveal to us who He is, who we are, and who we need. Bad days, rough situations, rough circumstances, and difficulties, and desperate moments is when God does His greatest work in our lives. 
For that's when He brings us to the end of ourselves. That's when He brings us to that moment in which we no longer are looking to ourselves as a Savior, but we look to Jesus. It's in those moments where we're driven to Him and Him alone as our Savior and our Rescuer. However, in this moment, in this point in our story, the disciples have yet to realize this. Look at verse 38. Verse 38 says, He, Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I love this detail. It's my favorite part of the whole story because what it communicates to me is is if Jesus can take a nap in the midst of a chaotic, busy time, then maybe I can too. And maybe you can too. And the truth is, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you could do in a moment of stress, in a moment of difficulty, is take a nap. See, this verse speaks to the humanity of Jesus. The Bible teaches and the church has believed That Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Two natures united into one person. 100% God, 100% man. Jesus, the God-man. And this is an important detail. It's important to note that, however, 100% man and 100% God, the only qualifying qualification related to Christ's humanity is that He is without sin. He has no sin nature. Not once, never, did He commit a single sin. Consider Uh, the text that we meditated on earlier. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we we are, yet without sin. Mark chapter 4, we have on full display Jesus' humanity and His deity. And it's His humanity that appears so clearly as He's asleep on a cushion in the stern of the boat, fast asleep, In fact, the Bible repeatedly teaches us about the humanity of Jesus. We read in in, uh, Matthew chapter 4 that He got hungry. We read in Mark chapter 3 that that He got angry. We see in John chapter 11 that He cried, and now in Mark chapter 4 that He slept, which makes sense because it was a long day, an exhausting day. And He kept on sleeping. He was so tired that He slept through the storm. He slept through the boat being tossed around and and the water filling the boat and His disciples yelling and and crying and screaming. But also don't miss this observation that Jesus and His humanity, the fact that He kept on sleeping speaks to us that He had complete trust in the care of His Father. These veteran sailors may have been terrified, but this carpenter from Nazareth had complete trust. He slept soundly. See, Jesus knew He had work to complete. He knew that that there was work ahead of him on the cross. He knew that he still had things to accomplish. Therefore, he was confident that his father had promised and he trusted that his father would see him through to the end. Therefore, he wasn't afraid. Therefore, he slept because he trusted God is in control. God is sovereign. He's in charge. But the disciples, well, that's another story, isn't it? You see, as the storm was getting bigger and the boat was being thrown around and being filled with water, these seasoned fishermen are thinking, guys, we're in big trouble here. And Jesus, well, he's asleep on a pillow in the stern of the boat. And these disciples here notice they're dealing with two things. Two things that I think we can relate to in times of difficulty. First, they're dealing with the terror of the storm. They're dealing with the reality that they have no control in that moment of what is happening. Have you ever felt that way in the midst of a storm in life? Well, these disciples, they realize they have no ability to do anything about what was happening in that moment. I mean, think about it. What do you do in times like this? These guys have no power to control their circumstance whatsoever. 
They can try to bail out the water as fast as they can, but they can't stop the wind. They can't stop the waves. Secondly, they're dealing with the unexpected response of Jesus in their difficulty. Think about this. How could He be sleeping right now? How could He rest in a moment like this? What kind of response is this from this guy who calls himself God? What what do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? Can't you see what's happening to us? Do you even care? Remember, these guys left everything to follow Jesus. They left their vocation. They left their family. They left it all behind to follow this man who is sleeping while they are hanging on for dear life. How dare you? Don't you think in a moment like that, Jesus would be the first one to help? So the disciples, they're frustrated. They wake up Jesus from His nap. And they ask Him. Look at verse 38. Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Is this not bothering you? And I think this is a fair question. Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? I think this is a normal human reaction to something that we cannot control. However, this is not the spiritual response that you would expect from a bunch of men who have been walking and living with Jesus. These guys physically, visibly walked with Jesus. They ate with Him. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They dined with Him. They hung out with Him. They had been with Jesus for a considerable amount of time. But still, these guys are panicking. And they're screaming out, Wake up, Jesus. Don't you care? Now, don't miss what the disciples are doing here. You see, in this moment, they're questioning Jesus' care and His love for them. And I think they're frustrated by what seems to be a lack of concern from Jesus. And as a result of having no hope of handling the situation themselves, they lash out in a very rude outburst. And to be honest with you, I see myself in these guys. I see myself in these disciples. Jesus has proven Himself faithful to me over and over and over, yet when caught by surprise, when faced with an unideal circumstance, what do I do but get frustrated? Get angry rather than show faith in the God who promises that He'll never leave me. Promises that He'll never forsake me. Promises that He'll never walk out on me. And I think in moments of difficulty, when we question God's love, and when we question God's care, when we respond as the disciples do in our text here, I think it's rooted in fear. Obviously, the disciples were afraid. I think you and I were too, would be too if we were in their situation. I think our fear is a direct interpretation of how we view life. Don't get me wrong. Fear is not always a bad thing. It's a helpful response. When, when my juniper went flying and tumbling down the stairs, I was immediately gripped by fear. And the fear in my heart and the adrenaline surging through my body enabled me to jump up and to respond appropriately. However, understand that fear is an interpretation. It's kind of like a math equation. Now, I'm not good at math. Some of you are. Brian's a math teacher, so he'll help me with this afterwards. But it, it's, this is the equation. Bad circumstance plus self plus God equals either trust or fear. Bad circumstance plus self plus God equals either trust or fear. In other words, I look at the size of my circumstance. I look at the size of my difficulty. And then I look at myself and I see my inability to control this situation that I'm in. 
I add then my view of who God is, and and I add in what I think He's doing in my circumstance, and the result is either going to be hope or fear, courage or distress. You see, it all hinges on your view of who God is. It all hinges on your understanding of who God says He is from the Word of God. Not the God that you've created, but who is God based upon who He says He is. This is why it's so important to read this book. It's so important to meditate on this book and to memorize Scripture that speak to the truths of of who God is. And, And not only that, but who you are in Christ. So I guess the question is this. How are you responding in difficult situations? How are you responding in the storms of life when they're raging and you're being thrown around? How do you react? How do you respond? How does your equation work out? Difficult circumstance plus self plus God equals what in your life? Does it equal courage? Because you know that God is sovereign and He is in control because His Word tells us this. Or does it equal fear because you're trying to control the situation yourself and and you don't know who God is and you don't know that He's promised to never leave you and never forsake you. It hasn't moved from your head to your heart and you're not living with that truth. Does it equal courage, anxiety, rest, stress, peace? Because your response speaks directly to where your heart is. It speaks directly to the current depths of your understanding and faith and who God is and what He has done on your behalf through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus. And I love how Jesus responds in verse 39. Let's take a look. Jesus, He gets up and He rebukes the wind. I love that He didn't get up and start yelling at the disciples. But rather, he gets up and he rebukes the wind. And he says to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Don't miss this. Jesus here is speaking to the elements personally. It has a feel feel of of a master commanding his servants because that's exactly what's happening here. Jesus is the ruler of nature. He is the word through whom the whole world was created. This is Jesus the creator. Jesus the Messiah. He literally has the authority to speak to the natural elements like water and wind and they have to obey him. Jesus says, silence, be still. The literal translation for this would be, be silent, you have been muzzled. I love that. You have been muzzled. I have exercised my power over you. Stop it. This should blow our minds. This should radically change our perspective of not only our circumstances, but it should begin to develop our understanding of who God is We need to let Scriptures like this take root in our mind, in our heart. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what else to say, but this is your God. This is your Lord, and He is amazing. And this is the same Jesus who controls the wind and the waves, who is inviting you and I into a personal relationship with Him. This is the one who says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'll never walk out on you. I am with you to the very end. But unfortunately, I think you and I have a tendency to doubt We have a tendency to doubt God, accuse God before we first look at our own hearts. We're so quick to question Jesus' care for us before we question ourselves. We're quick to question His love. It's easy to doubt His wisdom and, and His goodness rather than examining our own hearts and our own lack of faith. 
Consider how Jesus then replies to the disciples. After rebuking the wind and the waves, he says to the disciples, why are you afraid? If I was in the boat, I would have been like, are you serious? <laughs> it's obvious. He says, why, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Now I want to make note of two phrases in these verses. The first phrase is, why are you so afraid? If you're taking notes or are underlining, why are you so afraid? And the second is they were terrified. There's a play on words going on in these two verses. You see, when Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? The word for afraid here is, is in the literal, in the, in the original language, it, it's translated as timid or cowardly. So the idea is that when you're in a difficult situation or an, an unideal situation, Jesus is saying, why are, you, why are you being such a coward? Why are you so timid? In the next phrase, and they were terrified, <coughs> this word terrified in the original language is rooted in the word phobia, which speaks to a, a life-shaping alarm. It speaks to a fear that changes your perspective. It, it speaks to a fear that changes your outlook. It's, it means that in this moment, these guys, their, their timidness, their, their cowardness, is that word? Their, them being cowardly, it, it turns from that to, to awe. I'll say this again, their fear turned into awe. Their accusation of Jesus turned into worship of Jesus. They went from being cowards to being confident. And I think this is significant. We can't miss this. It's only, it, it's only fear that has the power to defeat fear. You might be thinking, John, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. What do you mean by that? Here's what I mean. It's only when you have a healthy fear and understanding of who God is. It's only when you have a healthy fear of God, or, or it's when a grace-driven awe of God is at the center of your heart that you will be free from the kinds of fear that this world will throw at you. Charles Spurgeon says this about fear. He says, half of our fears are a, are a result of ignorance. And I will add, ignorance about who God is. The fact of the matter is this, brothers and sisters, life is bigger than us. And whether you like it or not, you're going to face situations that are beyond your strength, beyond your wisdom. And the only way you will find peace and rest is that in those moments, if you fear God above all else, if you're overwhelmed by His glory, overwhelmed by His power, overwhelmed by His love for you, overwhelmed by His grace, his mercy, overwhelmed by His wisdom, overwhelmed by His presence, only that deep awe of God, only that fear has the power to defeat all other fears that we will experience living in this world marred by sin. So as we finish up, I guess the question we need to answer is this. In the context of our passage, what is faith? Jesus said to the disciples, do you still have no faith? What did Jesus mean by this when He asked this question? Well, one way we can define it in this context is that faith is carrying with you a deeply rooted fear of God that gives you hope and courage in situations where you once were afraid. I'll say that again. 
Faith is carrying with you a deeply rooted fear of God that gives you hope and courage in situations where you were once afraid. And to express their faith, the disciples, they ask a very important question, the question that we began our time together with. Who then is this? That even the wind and the sea obey Him. And friends, this is a question that you have to answer yourself. Who is Jesus? The answer is that He is the one who was consumed by the stormy sea of God's wrath as He hung on the cross. He endured the ultimate storm so that we could find peace and be saved. And Jesus calmed the only storm that can truly drown us, God's wrath and judgment. And He went down into the storm only to, re, to, to emerge three days later as the one who stilled the just and righteous wrath of God against sinners. Who then is this? This is Jesus. He is the Lord. And we can know Him regardless of our circumstances. Brothers and sisters, do you rest in Him in moments of difficulty? Do you believe His power to defeat what you cannot and never defeat? Does your fear of Him overwhelm any other fear that you might have? See, your greatest fear doesn't exist outside of you. Your greatest difficulty, excuse me, doesn't exist outside of you. Your greatest difficulty exists inside of you. The greatest storm in your life is not whatever circumstance that you may experience. The greatest storm in your life is called sin. And the waves of sin beat at the borders of your heart. And like the disciples in the boat, you have no ability to save yourself. No ability to defeat sin You see, salvation is only found in in awe of the saving grace of Jesus and a recognition of the sufficiency of His sacrifice on the cross. Trust in Him today. So this is the question. When you're faced with this truth, the fact that you're in need of a Savior and that you cannot save yourself, that only Jesus has the ability and the authority and the power to save you, in this moment, will you recognize your weakness? And if you do, will you run to Christ? Because only Jesus has the ability to save you from whatever storm you may experience. And He has the ability to give you peace. And so this morning, I invite you, wherever you're at, wherever you've been, whatever you may be going through, whatever storm you may be facing, trust and rest and find peace in the only One who has power over the storm. Let's pray. God, we love You and thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. We thank You, God, that You are in control. We see clearly from this text that You are not surprised. That You have not left us. That You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You have power over the greatest storm in our lives. In fact, You defeated sin and You've defeated death. And all who call upon Your name this morning, You say in Your Word, will be saved. I pray, Lord, for those in here this morning that are in, in a storm. Currently, I pray, Lord, that You would give them rest and peace that can only be found in in Your Son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that You give them an understanding of who You are and make Your presence evident in their life. pray for those who are here that don't know You, that haven't surrendered their life to You. I pray, Lord, that they would respond to the call in their life. that, that That they would know clearly that You love them and gave Your life for them so that they may have life. 
and peace. Lord, we worship You. We give You all the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.